Hello and welcome to this CM Live Conversations. I'm your host today, Andrew Hanlon. I'm a principal consultant here at CM Industrial, specializing in the construction market in North America. Today, we're gonna to be talking about the data center construction market, and more specifically, about how, the, how clients can meet the spike in demand and create a more well-rounded service offering. Before we get started, I would like to say we do have a Q&A at the end. So if you do have any questions, please put them in the chat and we'll get to them if we can. Um, I'm really pleased today to be joined by Alan Lurie, um, who is an expert in the data center construction market. And I'll leave it to Alan to introduce himself and give a little bit of info on his background. Yeah, hi. And thanks for calling me an expert. <laughs> my, my, my mother would be very proud. <laughs> so, no, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm, I'm an architect by training. I've been, in the, I've been in the design and construction field for almost 40 years, hard to mm -hmm. believe. Um, and I started in the data center world many, many years ago. Uh, and I started in the data center world as an architect, actually doing merger consolidation for big banks. And part of the portfolio that the banks picked up was early nascent data centers. And I found that to be fascinating. And over the course of time, I, I worked at a company called Carlson, a big design build company to data centers. I was a VP there. I've been in the consulting side. I was at CBRE as a managing director and the subject matter expert for data center design. And uh, I'm over at Clayco, a design build company in Chicago where um, I'm in their data center practice. Fantastic. So there's people of varying uh, degrees of knowledge on the call for the data center market. Some people are very well seasoned in the market. Some people are quite new. For those that might not be fully up to speed, can you give us a little bit of uh, an insight to what's been going on, the growth and the current spike and what's been causing that? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. When I started in the data center market, again, all those years ago, the data center market was pretty well dominated by, by enterprises mainly by banks who wanted to do their own data centers. Mm -hmm. And data centers back then were relatively small, 30 watts a square foot. If it was a couple megawatts, that was a big data center. Uh, but really the explosion of the internet has driven the growth. Mm -hmm. um, and as the internet exploded, uh, pretty much every business that you have, whether it's enterprise or hospitality, entertainment, corporate relies on data as its lifeblood to sustain itself communicating data, storing data, processing data, and that's driven the growth of data centers. Fantastic. Um, so with the growth, a lot of companies have been looking to get into this space. I've, I've had lots of conversations with companies looking to hire heads of data centers, data center experts, but they don't always know what they actually want. Um, so what, what are clients looking for in this space uh, from these companies? that goes beyond the sort of traditional recruit uh, construction model. Yeah, I mean, the, the data center world has changed dramatically. And, and I think the biggest change has been the kind of what we call a hybrid deployment. Uh, and, and it used to be, again, you had a data center, it was raised floor, perforated floor tiles, you sent air through the floor, it got to the server, it cooled it, you pulled out, and, and you kind of knew what you were doing. And it was a, there was a base of design that everybody knew. Mm -hmm. And whether you were doing it for one company or another, it was pretty much the same. And with the growth of the internet, with the, 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 the driving of more and more data, with the desire to lower the power utilization effectiveness and, and increase efficiency, going green, it's become a much more complicated design approach. And so the old ways of doing things that everybody knew, and when I started this, we all knew exactly how to do it, 
suddenly all this, these disruptors came in and they said, well, why can't we do it like this? Why can't we do it like this? So I would say that, and, and it's interesting, it's almost an oxymoron because you tend to think of engineering as a kind of a scientific approach. Mm-hmm. The engineering for data centers is much more, I'm going to say, artistic and it's entrepreneurial and it's certainly out of the box. And I think what people who are looking to recruit in that sector are looking for are people that can see, that can think outside that old fashioned topology and think of new creative ways of doing things instead of always going to 2N redundancy on electrical and N plus one on mechanical to say, hey, maybe we can do redundancy at the IT stack. Maybe we can have a mirrored facility. Maybe we could send some of this to the cloud. And to be able to think, I think, more holistically and in, in, in a more business, more creative way is really attractive to people looking for leaders in that sector. Mm. So what would you say the most important things are now that the owners and operators are actually looking for from companies looking to get into the space and the current companies are in space? Yeah, I think they're looking for flexibility mm-hmm. because, again, depending on the data that you're processing, it may be OK. You may be OK with an outage. You may not need a tier four highly redundant, very expensive data center. You might be able to go to a tier two, depending on what you're doing. And so we're seeing more and more data center operators and owners and developers coming up with very flexible topologies within their data centers that allows their clients to dial in exactly the risk level, the growth level. So I would say, you know, to put it in one word, uh, Andrew, I would say flexibility is what they're looking for. Yeah. And how, how do you think companies can achieve that? Because it's quite difficult, especially when they're new to the sector, um, to sort of give that flexibility while sticking to their their current processes and procedures? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think it's something that everybody struggles with. And mm-hmm. I know, you know, when we would consult with these folks, they would ask us that question. And there's really, I'm going to say two ways to think about it, right? I mean, if you think about any other sector, you can't be all things to everybody. You mm-hmm. can't be Neiman Marcus and Walmart at the same time. <laughs> are you Neiman Marcus or are you Walmart? Are you appealing to the high-end buyer who wants the top quality? Or you're appealing to more commoditized buyer, so we're seeing a lot. We're seeing we're seeing a lot of bifurcation in the sector, and you're seeing people who are branded in that way. Hey, I'm the data center operator that is 99.999. It's never going down. Totally flexible. If you want a thousand watts a square foot, we can give it to you. And then conversely, you're seeing the big cloud data centers that are saying, you know, we're we're much less reliable. But you don't need that level of reliability if you're just storing photographs. You know, you're, if, you're, if you're a bank, you're going to want that gold plating. Mm-hmm. If, you're, uh, a, 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 if you're a owner that needs much less reliability, why spend that kind of money and that kind of um, investment when you could go to a lower level topology? So we're seeing people really picking their lanes. And I think the people who do, like in any sector, the people who do well are the people who are, I'm going to say on the extremes in a way, who are... Again, the Neiman Marcus is the Walmarts. The guys in the middle tend to not be branded well enough to have a strong value proposition that's appealing. Mm. And how important is it as well that we see a lot of the end users and the operators will be global companies? Uh, how yeah. are smaller companies that might be just based in the US or in Europe, how are they going to service these operators and owners around the world? Is it possible? Is it, is it more difficult? or is it, is it just going to be too difficult? Uh, let me make sure I understand your question. It, actually, could you rephrase that again, Andrew? I'm sorry, I didn't quite. 
So, uh, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people in the sector who mentioned that if you're not operating globally, you're not going to get in with a lot of these clients. So gotcha. how are smaller companies who might not have a global presence going to overcome that, do you think? Right. Well, again, it gets back to kind of knowing who you are. Mm-hmm. And, I, and actually, I did a lot of consulting with clients, helping helping them to write their value proposition. And a lot of that would say, you know, you don't have to be. If you want to, if you want to appeal to the global organizations, the Fortune 50s that are global that want consistency worldwide, yeah, you have to know who you are and you have to set up a platform to do that. But not every company is like that, mm-hmm. right? Only maybe 10% of the companies are like that. 90% of the companies are local. They're smaller. They're indigenous. They don't need something in India because they're an American company with an American product. So I, I think it gets back again to knowing who you are. Are we going to be that local company? And we're seeing a lot of local markets becoming very strong. I mean, you've got data centers in Texas that deal with Texas. You've got data centers. And so we're seeing strong local players. Right. And again, I'm going to compare it maybe to the financial service sector. I mean, not everybody's a Citibank or a Bank of America. You need small mom and pop SNLs that are going to appeal to local community. And there's clients that like that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of enterprise clients out there. They don't want to go to the huge. They want to, They want a more high-touch um, a, a provider that they know is going to value them as opposed to a massive trillion-dollar company that is going to, they're just going to be another drop in the bucket. Fantastic. So as an entry point into the sector, then smaller, more regional, local businesses could be a prime target to get started in this sector. Oh, I, I think absolutely. I think absolutely. And, and you have to you have to be smart enough to look at underserved markets. Mm-hmm. And and then again, we used to do a lot of that, kind of deep dives into the markets. What are the most underserved? What, what's the pent up demand? What are some of the people that feel left out of that market that you can pick up? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we're seeing strong growth in markets. You wouldn't have thought so because of that local demand. You know, it, we're also seeing, I mean, if you think about the market in general, and I'm going to just quickly give a, an overview of it, it's divided into four sectors, right? So you have enterprise data centers and you still have those. Mm-hmm. So if you're an enterprise and you want a data center, you want to close to your headquarters, you want to be able to go over it, touch it, feel it, but maybe outsource it to an operator, that's a powerful, you know, and, and that's fine. That's a local thing, maybe two or five megawatts. There's the there's the co-location guys that both retail and wholesale, but mainly retail that just sell their services based on kilowatts or based on rack or square footage to very, very small and, and can be also very large clients. You have the hyperscalers, the Googles, the Amazons, or Facebooks, the Microsofts that do massive 100 megawatt plus data centers. And then you have what are called edge deployments. And that's becoming, to your point, that's becoming more popular. Those are very small. It could be half a megawatt, could be a couple hundred kilowatts of power that for low late, for people that want super low latency to, and so you're seeing that in markets like around New York, where you have to report to the stock market very quickly. People who want very low latency applications for their clients, they're building very small localized regional data centers. So those are the four markets. And as I said earlier, nobody, I don't think anybody, not even Google plays in all four. You have to kind of know who you are and then craft your value proposition to meet that market. Absolutely. Okay. Fantastic. Um, so obviously a lot of growth. Do you foresee it slowing down at any point soon or is it going to keep going up or how do you think the trend is going to change over the next five or 10 years? Yeah. 
I mean, I, I will say this. Everybody that predicts what's happening in data centers is wrong. <laughs> so, I don't think anybody's ever been right. And, and, and if you if you are right, you're the next, you know, you're the next, um, you know, uh, a billionaire. Uh, I mean, it, I, it's funny. I used to do projections and, and, and because you take what's currently happening and you just think it's going to keep on happening the way it is. And you don't take into account disruptors. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's a lot of disruptive technology that could change all of this. I mean, if we can cool the computer right at the ship level, you know, or we can get massive changes in battery technology, that's going to change it. But I, I don't think the demand is going anywhere. I think everybody agrees, Andrew, that the demand, especially with 5G, is going to keep on going for how long? You know, I, I think for at least 10 years, you're going to see a, a pretty dramatic growth in Internet demand. And I'll tell you, almost every client that we're dealing with, um, they become schedule-driven clients mm-hmm. because they'll spend more money to get it to market on time because there's such a huge market demand right now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So with that in mind, uh, how are companies going to future-proof um, data centers, both from an operator point of view, because obviously things can change rapidly. They need yeah. to make sure that whatever they're building or buying or investing into is still going to be viable in right. even even as little as a year. Um, yeah. So how, how can you actually future-proof um, you know, ideas and designs and construction projects? Yeah, that's the question everybody's looking at. And so, you know, I, I, I would say it, it's, it's in the topology. So we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of really smart topologies that allow for deployment of both high and low uh, uh, capacity cabinets right next to each other. Mm-hmm. I did one recently that had an indirect evaporative cooling system that just pumped it into the space. You could put a two kilowatt cabinet next to a hundred kilowatt cabinet and everything would be fine because the, 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 the air is being drawn through the cabinet mechanically itself. So you're seeing a lot of very smart air. I'm going to say on the air distribution side that allows tremendous flexibility within the data center. So you, you don't have to keep track of, oh my God, am I maxing out my, my, my row because I put 350 kilowatt cabinets next to each other. So we're seeing that built into the topology. We're also seeing people building data centers that um, um, where, the, where the infrastructure is set, um, but not deployed, but it's, it's set in terms of stub ups and, and, and it's warm. Um, and then they build it out kind of just in time for the specific demands of the tenant that's going in. So we're seeing people kind of holding back because they know that whatever tenant's going to come in is probably different than what they've anticipated. Yeah. So flexibility for future build out and then flexibility for power demand, I think is what we're seeing happening mm. a lot. And speaking on power demand, um, there's a lot of press and media about sustainability with data centers. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, the growth has been massive, but the actual, as far as I can tell, um, power consumption and uh, emissions especially is actually not growing with the rise in demand. So what would you say is the main factors for that and how can companies keep making sure that they're keeping some sort of sustainability focus on large projects? Yeah, I think there's kind of two sides to it. I mentioned earlier PUE, the power utilization effectiveness which when I started in the data centers, if in the PUE, most people know of it just quickly, it's the ratio of the incoming service, the utility service to the power available to the IT rack. So it's how much are you losing between the incoming service and coming outside the UPS towards a, PD, towards a P2 
PDU or RPP or whatever that distributes it onto the floor. And so 1.6 means you're, you know, you're losing, you know, 40% across the way. Um, that was good. And then I'm 1.4. Now people are, I did one that was 1.06, you know, and it's called the drive to one. Somebody's mm-hmm. going to, somebody's going to get there somehow. So we're seeing things like, you know, medium volt power is certainly much more efficient mm-hmm. um, than low voltage. We're seeing water cooling, which cools much more effectively than air. Um, so people, I mean, nobody, every, I, I can't feel the last client that is satisfied with the PUE greater than 1.2 these days. That's kind of industry standard. So you're seeing that, which of course reduces power need. On the sustainable side, people are still searching because frankly, and here's the secret, even companies, I won't say who, <laughs> but the big hyperscalers who claim to be 100% sustainable, though they're, they're, they're putting money into the utility system to build solar and wind and geothermal, but they're not using it for the data center itself. Mm. Right? Those, are, those are credits because the solar is, is still intermittent. It's not stored very easily. It's not very effective. Uh, the same thing with wind. We are seeing people doing geothermal. You're seeing some really interesting data centers being built into caves and on, on lakes and that kind of thing. That, that is really interesting. But And you're seeing massive changes in battery technology. Uh, to me, and I could be wrong, probably am <laughs> but but I, I think bad i think well look elon musk is a little bit smarter than me and he's investing in it so um i, I think you're going to see battery technology make a big difference the other thing you're seeing as people as data centers become the size of utility plants people are building on-site utility grade substations so they're not taking from the power from the power station it's right there on site and you have a lot less energy lost across the system um Moving on to a slightly different topic, which is one that keeps coming up again and again, um, is the demand for talent in this sector. Yeah. Um, very, very competitive. And you know, a lot of the larger companies now have a, a sort of set talent pool that they will always go to, um, which can make it difficult for new people to get into this sector. Um, so for both experienced people in the industry and maybe people who are just graduating, what would your advice be to start getting into the sector? I would say, and I alluded to this earlier, I would say think outside of your lane, right? So if you're an engineer, if you're a mechanical engineer in particular, become become well-versed in electrical topology, become well-versed in architectural systems, understand IT. So I, I think... Look, we always need specialists, obviously, and, and I'm, I'm an architect and I'm a generalist kind of by nature, and I rely on specialists who know a lot more about, about the specifics than I do. But I think what's attractive is to be able to talk across those different lanes, you know, and, and it used to be, you know, that you stayed in your lane, and that's kind of how things were. And the people I have seen who have done very well are those who, yeah, I may be trained as a mechanical engineer, but I really understand these other systems at least well enough to understand how they all work together. So I can talk holistically about it. So I think that's important. And as I said, there's always need for, so either that or conversely become a super expert on a very specific thing. That's always going to make you attractive as well. I mean, if you are, if you know so much about battery technology, you know, that you're the smartest guy about that in the room, that's attractive as well. So I think go one way or the other, um, it, it, I think is always good advice. Mm. And on the flip side to that, then, for, for companies uh, looking to get into this space who need to attract talent that 
obviously know the sector well, what can they do to prepare themselves to make sure they they give these individuals the resources they need? Wow, that's a good question. Can I, can I get back to that one? Can I think about that for a little yeah, bit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, that is coming to the end of uh, sort of the questions we had set, but we do have um, some other questions which people have submitted. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so just going through them now. Um, how would one see the evolution of cooling solution from air to liquid cooling? Will it be the norm for high-density data centers, um, which you did touch upon briefly? Um, but do you want to expand on that? I think it will become the norm. I mean, I, look, there's always people that are going to do air. I mean, especially if you're in a nice cold, nice cold environment and you can have a lot of free air. I think air makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you know, there's mechanical engineers there. They're going to send you a note afterwards saying, to you, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But And, and they might be right. But, but I mean... Water cools a thousand times more. I mean, thousands of times more effectively than air. It's just much, much more effective. And and you can't you can't get a hundred kilowatt cabinet with air. You're never going to get there. So, I mean, if you are going high density um, and you do want ultra low PUE, I think water is the obvious way to go. It just becomes an issue of containment, of risk mitigation, of you know keeping it clean so it doesn't affect your equipment. There's issues around it, but I, I'm certainly seeing the industry go to water. Although. A lot of people are still using air, for sure. So again, especially in colder climates where you can take advantage of free cooling. Okay. So that is probably more viable in some of the Nordic countries, which are seeing growth as well. Yeah. 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 But but again, I think you're seeing, I mean, you're seeing water-cooled cabinets. You know, I think that those are very, very smart. I like those. Um, and they make a lot of sense. Got it. Um, Marcelo has asked, uh, what do you recommend to companies that built and own their data centers that are now outdated? and that need to or should move to the cloud but are constrained by the capital deployment? Well, I guess there's an assumption they need to move to the cloud. I, I guess I would challenge that. I mean, it's interesting. We're seeing a lot of enterprises that ha- have legacy data centers and kind of rushed to the cloud several years ago that are beginning to say, maybe we shouldn't have put everything to the cloud because there's a lot of security issues. Mm-hmm. People are very concerned about security and the hackers tend to always be smarter than the guys who are trying to keep them out. You know, so. Hey, the best way to get a job in the data center sector is to be a, be a successful hacker. <laughs> and then write to the client, go, I hacked you, not give me a job so I can tell you how to keep other people like me out, you know. But, but um, so there's an assumption that they're moving to the cloud. And there's an assumption that that costs capital. It doesn't cost capital, right? That's an operation. That's an operating expense. So that's not a capital expense if you do move to the cloud. So I, I'm not quite sure about that. But we're seeing a lot of people with legacy data centers who will hire somebody like us or to come in and do a facility assessment and say, what are my existing risks? Can you weigh my existing risks and my existing building against my stated business purposes, do a gap analysis, and make remediation recommendations. And with new technologies, you know, lithium ion, as an example, you know, there's ways actually to use data centers. People thought were obsolete and not usable and actually make them quite attractive. Mm. Now there, there is CapEx obviously involved in that, but even then, you can go to developer. There's plenty of people out there who have a lot of cash, you know, real estate investment funds and, and what have you, that are happy to finance a capital build out for an enterprise client and then turn it into a sale leaseback or a lease sale back or whatever mechanism they want to do. So if you have a legacy data center, you don't have the capital. There's plenty of people. If you're a, especially a you know a highly rated company that are happy to finance it for you. Mm. Okay. Let's see. 
So uh, another question coming in here. Um, obviously, you're in the US, um, but how do you think the European data center market is growing compared to you know, the US and the rest of the world? And is everyone on the level playing field? Yeah, I'm not. An, I mean, I, I touch on those. I, I wouldn't presume to be an expert on, on Europe. I, I know that there are major growth markets, mainly in Asia. We're seeing India, we're seeing Vietnam, you know, some of these uh, markets that you never thought are suddenly becoming very, very attractive. And they're becoming attractive for all kinds of reasons. That's under Africa is becoming actually a very strong data center market. Mm-hmm. Underserved areas, land is cheap, construction is cheap, what have you. Um, Europe, I think, is kind of like the United States. It's a very, very mature market that I think is just trying to keep pace with, with demand. Yeah. So I, I may be wrong, but I don't think that Europe varies dramatically from the U.S., but, but certainly Asia does. I mean, APAC is, is, is intense. Yeah. I know, I know people that work in India, and they just can't keep up with it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, Alan, thank you so much. Is there anything you'd like to add uh, before we wrap up? Um, no, it was my pleasure sharing information. I, I would add this, this is just one guy's perspective. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of very, very smart people listening in who probably disagreed with what I said. And, 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 and I was saying earlier, the market is becoming so complex and becoming so bifurcated and so specialized that a good answer for one question is not a good answer for the same question to somebody else. Yeah. So, so I, I would just say that, um, keep in mind, I, this is my perspective on it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I hope it's been helpful. So I'm sure it has been. And yeah, definitely sending this out to a lot of people and we'll be able to get a lot of feedback. Um, thank you to everyone for attending. Um, like I just said, uh, we'll be collecting feedback shortly on the event. If you do have any further questions for Alan, feel free to get in touch and I'll, I can send those across to him and hopefully he'll uh, be able to find some time for an answer. Um, but that's it for now. Um, for more about CM Industrial and the recruitment service we offer, please go to searchingindustrial.com. And to find out more about Clayco, it's claycorp.com, I believe it is. Um, yes, correct. So feel free to check that out as well. Great. Hey, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. Right. Take, Bye for now. Take care now.